welcome to the Outdoor Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Mascarinas. I am joined by Ron Lowry of Lowry Outdoor Adventures. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yep, Nailed it right. I'm, I'm digging the Lowry Outdoor Adventures, by the way. It's we, an adventure, uh, right? <laughs> it's always an adventure when you go out with Ron Lowry. Uh, we're at Bar Lake State Park. We are uh, recording a podcast here. Uh, we're live now, but we won't be live when I put it out, but we're kind of live. So it's um, you know one of those things. But we're here at Bar Lake State Park, and I want to thank uh, Michelle uh, Siebert, who we will have on uh, the podcast um, in the near future, I have a lot of stuff going on with her and lots of plans here at Bar Lake. So, but today uh, she was kind enough to let us use this uh, nice, brand new nature center. What do you think about this? This is, nice this is building, isn't it? Yeah, it's the first time I've been in here, and it's like to the nines for sure. Oh man, it's it's a great place to uh, hold seminars or to come and learn education. And then if you haven't been to Bar Lake yet, uh, in the before you've seen this new uh, building they have here in the past, they had a great nature center in the past too, mm-hmm. full of education. And this one is just even better. So uh, come down to Bar Lake State Park, which is in Brighton, Colorado. If those of you are, who aren't in Colorado or aren't familiar with the area, it's in Brighton, Colorado. And um, Just but, off of I-76, not very yeah, far. Bra- I think miles. it's like Bromley, Piccadilly, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, if, uh, if you want more information about that, I will leave it in the show notes. But today, uh, like I said, I'm joined with Ron Lowry. And he's been, he's been a guest before. I'm glad you came back. I was yeah. wondering if you're going to come back. You know, this Matt guy's kind of kind of screwed. Yeah, I don't know, I know. what we... What we got know, going on? After the last time, you know, you shanked that golf ball. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Shake, I thought we were going to talk about golf. Uh, my bad, my bad. You, you know, did say to leave that out, but you know, I, I did throw we, you under the bus. We talked about it pre-show. We weren't going to talk about my golf game. And that's the first thing you mentioned. See? See, that's, so, but. That's just because um, you haven't been practicing. I have not, you know. I haven't been practicing. Uh, I haven't been hitting those those buckets of balls like you've been telling me, you know. Keep inside out. I always yeah. go outside in, you know. But anyway, that's a different podcast, but. Um, I'm glad to be joined by you again. And thank you for coming on again. Yeah, and um, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? You, you've had yeah, a busy crazy. fall, huh? Yeah, I've been really busy. Yeah, I mean, let's jump right into it. You know, we got, and if you hear those beeps up there, like like I kind of got distracted earlier, it's because the door's opening, it's security thing, so just don't pay any attention to it. But um, anyway, let's jump right into it. We got, we got fall fishing in right. full bloom right now. We had right. a big, giant cold front come through, so mm-hmm. it, it's got to be full bloom right now, right? Yeah, I hope so. You know, I'll be on the water this evening kind of checking a few things out. Uh, I've been all over the place fishing um, as of recent. Uh, part of it just to do with, you know, guys with brand-new boats, trying to get some mechanics done, some electric stuff work done. But, I mean, I've been all over. Uh, even had fall fishing classic at Horse Tooth that unfortunately didn't go well, but... Uh, it's a tough fishery, and it wasn't fishing to the nines. It typically is fishing very well this time of year. That water's uh, real low, too. That that kind of made a yeah. And you know, there's some. Good, what was what was important is that there's a lot of good anglers out there that really did struggle. Um, if you could find those few fish that maybe would take something, uh, call it. You know, I guess being at the right place at the right time, or really just putting that bait right in front of their face and mm-hmm. then deciding. It was it was really bad. My partner and I. Um, you know, who we really worked on pretty hard on trying to get some things dialed in. We had fish everywhere we went in our spots. We'd drop our camera down after fishing it for a little while, you know, just to make sure because there were so many fish that were congregated. We had bass, crappie, walleye, bluegill, all swimming amongst each other. Like one would swim by, another one would swim by. You know, <laughs> carp, suckers. I mean, they were everywhere. We never just found a pot of walleye. And maybe that might have been the thing where we faltered. We were finding walleye and we were fishing for the walleye, catching all kinds of fish. It wasn't like we zeroed, 
but we just didn't get any uh, walleye in the boat, which is unfortunate. But from Hoy Street to Boyd, I mean, Jumbo, Jackson, Bar Lake, mm-hmm. uh, Cherry Creek, Aurora, Chatfield, um, Pueblo. I mean, there's just, I've been running around a lot, um, a lot of different fisheries. And in part because this time of year is another one of my go-to time of years for trophy walleye, right? Yeah, yep. So one of the things I love targeting, um, but it's a really difficult time of year right now because of a lot of different things. It's not that the bite's not horrible, but it's not great. But when you're trophy fishing, you're trying to look for those bigger fish to go and be at the right place when they're there and dialing that in. That's difficult, which is why the success rate is is not as big as most people would think. You know, big fish, big animals, you know, trophies yeah. type stuff. They don't come, they're not a dime a dozen. They're, they're hard to, to track down. They're very smart. Uh, they sometimes do things like you're wondering why are they here? Why all of a sudden am I needing to cast shallow with a stick bait? It's almost like... I see this time of year a uh, revert back to springtime. So I tell yeah. everybody we know a spring tactic is casting those stick baits shallow and so on and so forth. And the walleye almost seem to revert back to that. But then you get a, a you know a deep bite yeah. where you pull in a twenty nine incher and twenty eight feet of water, right? So it's just really interesting to see that. There's no rhyme or reason, um, you know, uh, of where these fish necessarily are. It's just, I think, being at the right place at the right time and dialing some of that in. So people always say, well, how come you're always able to catch? I said, partly, maybe it's due to being on the water more, right? Right. You're on the water a lot. Yeah, I'm on the water a lot. I I am looking high, looking low. I'm looking for those better marks. Uh, If I see some better marks, I'll definitely spend some more time if they don't swim off. I think a lot of my fish right now, I don't know how other people are doing, but I will mark a fish and I'll literally turn around and fish that fish and it's gone. And when you start dealing with maybe shallow water inside of 10 feet, I could see a little bit, but we have some pretty dirty water across the state uh, going right now. The water clarity uh, is definitely pretty murked up. So, you know, when you're dealing with a 12 foot walleye, 15 foot in the water column to 28, 29 feet, 30 feet, if you were telling me that boat's spooking it, we got some serious issues. I just think they're on the prowl and they're moving, they're moving and they're around. looking uh, a, a lot more, uh, trying to make sure to get that, you know, forage um, in them so they can survive for the winter. And in the springtime, you have you have the the um, kind of the fallback that you know they're going to that spawn phase, so you know that they're going to be in a certain, certain area, right, you know. Right. And and this time of year with the fall, you still have the spring conditions. Right. But you don't have that that spawn phase where you know that there's fish that have to be, especially those big fish that have to be up right. in the spawning area. So right. you have to go find those big fish, right? And, and that's what exactly. And yeah, a lot of what those you're big, doing exactly. A lot of those big fish are no different than you know Pueblo's been on a suspended bite. Chatfield, there's big fish and they are suspended. And when they do move in, you have a chance of of being able to get them. It's just, are you at the right place when they decide to come in where they're going to come in yeah. to an edge or a, you know drop off or some sort of structure. Uh, whatever they're relating to out there as far as i.e. chasing balls of bait shad or whatever it may be. Uh, but those are really hard fish to target and to uh, to get them to go. But uh, it's really interesting. Years past, you know, we've had some really good shallow bites uh, in the evenings at nighttime. And historically, you know, you could just look on the notorious guys at night fish. There's just not as many fish being caught uh, as of late normally. Right. 
um, you know, you, you can have tons of pictures. Uh, now, is that getting ready to come? Hopefully, you know, maybe we can get into some of those nighttime, uh, really good epic evening to nighttime bites uh, where we are casting a lot more of those stick baits. It's not like it's not producing, mm-hmm. but interesting enough, uh, you're noticing some of the same patterns with some really good anglers that I tend to stay in communication with where they are on a slabbing bite, a jigging wrap bite, you know, a dash and jack bite, a, you know, a spoon bite, you know, who knows whatever it is that they're, yeah. their forte, a flea fly, you know, who knows. But it sounds like vertical. Everything's vertical almost. Vertical in a sense. or maybe even presenting it out a little bit away from the boat and then retrieving it back. It, back. Yeah. it all depends on the type of situation and where you're fishing. Because uh, it's always good to come off edges, as you well know. Fish mm-hmm. edges come off of it. The fish are there. They're going to be there. And that edge may be a you know, six to seven foot drop off edge. One foot and they may be just kind of laying right in there. there wanting to feed in some shallow stuff. I always get those confused. I always come in and be fishing on the wrong side of the edge mm-hmm. when I should be fishing the other side. You know, I should have the boat on on this side fishing out of the edge instead of fishing into the edge you know what i mean i always screw that screw that up a lot so yeah and i don't know that necessarily you're screwing up it's just what day and what presentation are they needing at that point in time i don't necessarily i I wouldn't say you're screwing up and maybe just not making the your chest playing you know yeah you're just unfortunately maybe making that wrong move and they're they're winning the battle a little bit and kind of yeah. going from there but you know there's days where you need to be in deep water casting shallow and there's mm-hmm. days you need to be in shallow casting, casting deep, deep yeah. working up working down but those days are ultimately you know you got to forage some information in a short period of time to figure out which way they're wanting it are they wanting it aggressive are they wanting it soft it's the same thing the cadence and the presentation has everything to do with your success rate and kind of go from there generally speaking i'm a guy that will be 99% of the time casting shallow or mm-hmm. parallel to okay. a ridge. Um, I'm, if, you're, if you're casting parallel to a ridge, you're keeping your bait in the zone longer. Right. Let's, so let's say that you know that last master angler was caught uh, at a certain depth. And um, for instance, let's say it's 28, 29 feet of depth. I would rather fish 28, 29 feet as long as I can, hoping to run into another big fish, than run up to 12 feet or run out to 45 feet or whatever that may be. Um, and that's a great point because a lot of people don't think about that. You, you, you said it. There's keywords there, parallel and keep the bait in the strike zone. Mm-hmm. And if you're casting um, straight on mm-hmm. a piece of structure or an edge, whatever it may be, and you're, you're working that bait back to you, that bait is, could, could not be in the strike zone for very long, and you'll right. give those, those fish an opportunity to, to see that bait. But if you're passing, casting parallel to it, right. that, that stays. That's a great right. point right there that I've never thought about. Right. Never well, thought and about think that. about what your bait fish might do as it's entering uh, into structure. It's been out suspended. It's going to go up shallow at some point in time. So let's take away the idea that they're out suspended and they're just going to go straight vertical. Let's say they're near structure and they're going to run into that structure before they go to the surface in the evenings with the low light conditions. But when they run into that surface, well, where where did you see them out suspended? Well, 12 to 18 foot of water. Right. Where was that cloud of shad at uh, when you ran into them? And then know that that's sometimes where I go to seek my edge, the nearest edge to that where those fish could. When they hit the edge, what do they do? I mean, it's who knows? Right. Without being able to notice, you know, a camera or, I don't know, chip a bunch of shad, you know, and follow them. They may go up, they may go down. My personal feelings are they hit the wall and they dispense sideways, so they stay in that zone. Right. Because why would they live in the zone of, say, 12 to 18 feet all day? You know what I mean? Moving around, looking for that, but then move 
vertically up in the evening, but when they do run into structure, why would they just go up? Right. I think they disperse all over the place, but i.e., for instance, when I'm vertically slabbing in some notorious lakes that have that, and I tell everybody, put your line counter reel to 22, that's why I'm telling you to do that. Don't put it at 15 because <laughs> these shad aren't coming up. Right. The walleye are feeding on them at 22 feet of water. So I need you to put it on your line counter reel and slap it 22 feet. Well, I'm not feeling bottom. I know the boat's moving off and on that edge. But when we get close to that edge where the shad is going to run into that wall, let's say it, or the edge of that, those walleye are there to ambush them and kind of go from there. And you said line counter reel. Mm-hmm. So you're not trolling now. We're, you're, you're vertical. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's something that, that I never thought about. But it makes sense if you're keeping... You're, you're keeping track of where that where you got the bait in, not necessarily sure. like with the bottom. Right. Usually, you, you okay. I got bottom, and then you look at you look at your electronics, and you say, okay, I'm 20 feet, whatever it may be, but I got right. bottom here. That's where. Right. But having those line counters, I never thought about yeah. that. Now, I've used segmented line, yeah. but it doesn't give you that kind of. It kind of gives you if you if you pay attention and you count, you know, mm-hmm. you know every if it's every six feet, three feet, whatever it may be. I think tracer braid is. Uh, I, I may be mistaken, but it, it's it has it's segmented line, and you right. can count that down right. too. But being accurate in nailing down those details with a line counter reel could really improve you. Yeah, and it's proven to me over the years past that if I have somebody in the front of the boat and I have somebody in the back of the boat and we're slabbing at 22 feet, at some point in time, we may both, both anglers may be off the edge if the wind situation is right and we both may be back on or the guy in the front of the boat might be back on the edge and the guy in the back of the boat but we're still slabbing at 22 feet and even the guy that's been suspended has caught fish you know because while i'll chase the those the bait fish out away from it uh, and so on and so forth and so there's so many things to to really trying to figure some of that out but being able to dial in some of that stuff and kind of go from there is is really really important to me but yeah i do use line counter reels when i'm doing that uh 99 of the time there's other bites that maybe we're dealing with a lake that would let's say cherry creek or mm-hmm. maybe even chatfield where i don't necessarily have to have my line counter reel at all times i can use my spin casting reel you know, or a bait casting reel. Uh, right. Me personally, I, I wish there would be more bait casting reels with the flipping option just because yep. I'm a guy that, like, I'm always wanting bottom, bottom contact when I know that there is a need to stay on bottom. Uh, and that's just the fish telling me that, that I need to be on bottom. And so I want to know that I'm always touching bottom. Um, it was interesting, even last year, I tied into some extremely good bites, even all the way down to Pueblo, where the bite was actually contacting the, the bottom of the lake, but not maintaining contact the whole time. The fish were actually hitting it off the bottom. Really? So Almost like an ice re- fishing biting, in a yeah, sense. Yeah, it was really, really cool um, that that happened. You know, uh, this time last year, um, same thing. I'm at, you know, a jumbo, and we're vertical, and we've got some suspended walleye. And all of a sudden, the my buddy in the front of the boat, he reels up halfway up, and he's messing with that. And he catches one suspended, you know, halfway off the bottom, right? Uh. So it goes to tell you, just like we were, would treat an ice fishing hole, we would come up and cater to that yep. fish. Yep. Uh, wherever we're seeing them and marking them and kind of go from there but it's you know there is a there isn't like there's not a trolling bite you can troll especially if you go to a body water if it just in case you you don't have the luxury of being able to get on a body of water and fish every day you're with a weekend warrior my always go-to thing would be no different than when 
uh, I took the boys from Colorado Clay. We jumped up in the boat. We went up to Boyd, and we trolled right away. Mm -hmm. And I said, when we are trolling, we're going to look for some. If I get schools of fish that are kind of marked, let's slab them. But when it was happening, interesting enough, that those fish were not staying. They're moving too. So I could have gone back and marked that. We'd go right back through there, and it was a dead sea. You know, went, you know, 15, 20 yards further, and boom, there's fish again. So it's just like, ah, man, let's just leave these, you know, trolling, you know, lead core and snap weights yep, yep. and so on and so forth. Because uh, those fish were deeper, you know, they weren't up there shallow. Um, but it's not like we couldn't have turned and not spooned those fish. It just was for what was happening and what we saw, the bite was being effective. And some guys that were out there that I do know are good slabbers. They weren't catching anything. They resorted to trolling because they kept seeing us grab a net, right? Yeah. So you know, net it chasers, yeah, huh? and then take too long. Right? <laughs> <laughs> There's days I want to chase a net too. What yeah. I want to chase is what's what's actually in the net or in the fish's mouth. That's right. what I want to chase. Like, I'll go look for my own fish. Just, <laughs> I don't even know see, what's in yeah, there. What's in it? And what's the depth? And I'll see you later. You know. And that that that's that's funny because it sounds like because there's times where it's where you can isolate and and kind of really. Uh, sit on a spot where you know there's bait fish moving through, mm-hmm. so you know that there's fish going to be moving through following those bait fish. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like also too that it's like okay, then there's where you where you can slab those and get vertical mm-hmm. on those fish. But then it then it sounds like where you have to chase those fish that are chasing those bait right, fish right. by trolling. Right. So it's fall. Right. Fall's a great time to go and, and it is get out there and, and fish. Whether yeah. it's it's walleye, smallmouth, yeah. you know, everything's got the feedback yeah. on right now. And I've had a lot of people. My boat, my phone's been getting blown up as of recent. And part of it too is just posting some pictures to try to get you know obviously business for oh, yeah, fall. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's a catch twenty two. Nobody knows you exist until you catch something. Then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're like, oh, you're my best friend. You know, what are you doing? Where are you at? Blah blah blah. And, you know, most of the time I'm, I'm very well apt to sharing most of my information. I'm very transparent. You're very always, transparent. Always very been transparent. Yeah. Until there's some bites where, um, you know, whether I.e. I'm introduced to it or there's just bodies of water that I don't just like. There's no reason to push boy. There's no reason to yeah. push a jumbo, uh, you know, a North Sterling, a Jackson or whatever because it does me no good because I'm not fishing it uh, as a as a guide. So though, then it's it's like, hey, yeah, you know, there's some things going here and there, but I kind of lean off of it because mm-hmm. it's not really – what I need to be doing. But one thing that I will have been telling all these people that have been getting hold of me, I'm like, there's specific bites that are going right now. You you can and will be able to find some fish trolling at some bodies of water. You absolutely will get some bites because it's the notorious fall bite, slabbing and or jigging, wrapping, moonshine, shiver minnows, all those type yep, of things yep. that are, you know, out there for you to choose. A cast master. Cast, cast, know, yeah, a lot I of mean, people cast masters, overlook cast yeah, masters. Because they think they need to have that special, and I'm like, right. a cast master and get it done. Well, they Still. think they got their head there like trout. That that's when it's when it's uh, ice fishing. That's the first thing I have tried tied on is a cast master, yeah. Yeah. and I'm and I'm dropping that down. Doesn't doesn't matter where I'm at. I know I have so much confidence in that yep. that cast master. So. Yep, absolutely. So I've been telling them, you know, plan on trolling, uh, plan on doing your slabbing, or you know, if you want to call it jigging with a jigging wrap or. Uh, Dash and Jack from Bass Pro or SBS Blade Bait from Bass Pro, which are all turning, all working right now. Everybody goes, they think it's a specific thing that they need. Like, uh, it's so funny. It's like, give me the juice of it. And I'm like, well, I tried a lot of stuff. I caught fish on this and I caught fish on that. But, you know, well, what was the big fish caught on? I'm like, 
okay. Yeah. You, you know, the root of it isn't that was not see, the whole yeah. equation, right. right? It was like there was a whole combination of stuff. That fish might have bought, bit anything. We were just at the right place, and the, that particular thing was in its face. Yeah. You don't know if I could have dropped down that or this or cast master. It could have been you know, whatever. whatever. Yeah. And that fish would have eaten it because I, I put it in, in front of its face. So right. it's, it's like, don't get hung up on that. Get hung up on you know giving them a lot of presentation. Throw paddle tails. Swim baits are always mm-hmm, notorious. Mm-hmm. Again, spring and fall. Mm-hmm. And stick baits. Spring yep. and fall. So you're seeing this pattern of a fall bite start turning back into our spring presentation and kind of go from there it kind of and, works uh, backwards huh yeah. you know in spring you got that that yeah. cold cold water yeah. that you're waiting to heat up to get that magic number mm-hmm. and then now in fall you got that warm water that we're trying to wait to cool off to get yeah. to that magic number exactly so just work backwards yeah. almost in a a- sense, absolutely huh? the baits fish got to go shallow you know that the, mm-hmm. the food source is shallow uh, the predatory animals are, are always going to go shallow and that's just no different than why would a elk or a deer or an antelope go sun itself because it's got to be warm okay right. i right. this fish is going to warm itself up and also feed so there's two things it's chasing a temperature or maybe it's oxygen level who knows there may be a bit a certain clarity of water there's all these factors that do tie into uh notoriously tie into this and and kind of go from there um i think the fish tell me a lot too um i posted something recently and i posted a fish that was a really cool colored fish and i wish yeah, i would have taken yeah, better pictures yeah. i really do that was I, cool. after thinking about it i was thinking ah oh, man ronnie what were you because i was literally getting ready my my buddy wick was literally getting ready to huck it back over because it was a short fish notorious for chatfield you know mm-hmm, i mean mm-hmm. we got a lot of wait until 2020 right right yeah yeah just hold on yeah. just, just, there's just your classes them, yeah. there just, just give, them, wait. give them a couple two or three years we're gonna have some really good fishing going on back at chatfield right. not that it's not great it's just uh well they had a they had, they had a down year for shad Right. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of yeah. the, the shad population pods, wasn't, it's not, it wasn't yeah. as as good as it, and whatever that may be. You yeah. know, the conditions weren't right to have a, multiple hatches. Maybe mm, yeah. the water. You know, there's yeah, a lot there's, of things that go into that, and that right. happens a lot at Chatfield. You yeah. see that happen a lot at Chatfield. Right. Like a lake for like a Bar Lake, for example. If there's high water levels through uh, June, July, yeah, then you're gonna have multiple shad hatches here. Mm-hmm. And but if the water levels down, you're not gonna have as many shad hatches. And, right. and you know, I didn't pay, pay a lot of attention to Chatfield, so I can't speak on that, but. Mm. But that that happens a lot, and then yeah. when that happens to me, you, you you start to see a lot of a lot of those fish get caught different ways. They right. don't really relate to the shad bite. Mm-hmm. They may bite, and then this was a discussion too in in the on your Facebook post that you posted. Mm-hmm. And if you're not friends with Ron Lowry, go friend request him, um, and he has got a lot of info and a lot of stuff like that. Because I, I I like that conversations conversations like that. Yeah. You know, why? Yeah. And you get all kinds of because that's on that there, now you know? people are starting to tie into my world. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, where I'm Figure always why. asking why. Always, always asking why. Because nobody has all the answers. And uh, there's not a right or wrong answer. No, it's just a right I, or wrong answer at that time. Yeah. Like, discuss this. Tell me why this was happening. Yeah. You know, uh, I had some great anglers come on and, you know, give some insight to it, which I totally appreciate. But again, just getting people to think a little bit outside the box. Why was this fish so ironically colored? Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think the tight length guys had a tournament and they, Will had mentioned that there were several fish caught like that. I'm yeah. thinking, wow, I would have said something like, you know, this is a little bit of an anomaly because you know, each fish at each lake has some characteristics, you know what I mean? Like you can kind of sometimes tell a, tell a chat field fish, a, a creek fish, yeah. but, until they start 
bringing fish over back and forth and right, this and right. that. And you're like, well, I don't know where it necessarily was. But those colors distinctly were very, very cool. And, you know, there's all kinds of things. Like I, my process was, you know, that it must have been living shallow. Mm-hmm. Or then, and then people mentioned they were eating crawdads or crayfish. crayfish yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. But wouldn't other fish be changing right. too? Yeah, well, the small we know mouth, bass, yeah, you know, bass, you know yeah. we know bass have the tendency to hit that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be throwing a craw at them, right? Yeah, right. So uh, all these things that I'm thinking, okay, well, why aren't these predators? fish changing color with their forage we know trout is a main forage for many many years at spinny now there's perch yeah and if you don't think that those pike are not eating on those perch you got nothing coming right. you know right. they've got to be but are we seeing a change in their pigmentation so it was just really cool and i and i don't know i mean i got to talk to a biologist right. you know yeah, ultimately I'm, I'm, I'm like who's the guy i need a guy or gal i need to talk yeah, and even even they might not even have a, a direct answer they might yeah. have ideas for you because i and i i do water research. pigmentation like to, came up right yeah, yeah yeah and i try to do, do research like that too when when you brought that up i was like oh man let me do some research and look it up, and because I've experienced fish like like you'll have fish um, like smallmouth, for example, mm-hmm. or largemouth mm-hmm. when they're spawning, mm-hmm. they'll get that dirt dirt mark on their belly, right, you know, right. or the the smallmouth will be buried in there, and uh, they'll get that dirt spot on there. You'll get the dark spots on the body, and the right. walleye even too. You you can see the walleye sometimes if they're really buried in the mm-hmm. mud. You'll get mm-hmm. those dark spots on there, right. and a lot of that uh, happens to be in the mucus, the mm-hmm. pigmentation in the mucus, not necessarily the scales or, or the fins mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it like that. It's a mucus mm-hmm. that's, that's on that, that layer of fish. And I was, I found an article about, we all know, know about the blue, uh, you got the blue pike that are in, um, I want to say Lake Erie, one of those big, those, mm-hmm. they call it blue pike, but they're really walleye that are, have that pigmentation of blue. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then you have the green or the, uh, the, the what do they call those, um, those fish that are in, uh, what lake is it in Canada? That big, is it Winnipeg? Or well, is there's, it, uh, there's, there, there's one where those, those walleye are really, really green. green. Saskatchewan? The, the Saskatchewan. Some, but you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. And those yeah. of you that are listening really to. they're really like a dark. Yeah. yeah they're really just cool, got that dark looking. Green so looking. That, and that's a pigmentation deal. Yeah. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a water clarity, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a forge, whatever it may be. So it's, yeah. it's really interesting to see that. But I think a biologist opinion would be great to see. Sure. To kind of put more, more sure. into it. But to, to create that conversation yeah. is what I love to get involved in because yeah. it's, it's, it's learning. Right. We're always does learning. A, does a trout not eat uh, like a scud, right? right? A mycie shrimp, right? So we've seen meat change in char- characteristics. Right. Meat. Yeah, the definitely. internal meat change. So that maybe relate to a pigmentation. But the one statement true truth to the statement that was made on on the post too was like oh it's like our fingerprint every fish is different oh yeah. no we knew that I mean that's a we that's did. a definite but to get this different was for Chatfield you know I mean I've caught a couple fish out of Chatfield and I You've just caught never, a handful of fish out of Chatfield like every three, now and then you know just man? three you, you, just three you, you get lucky every but, now and then but <laughs> the point the, the point of it is is that when you run into that at at Chatfield I would have said it in, in, you know, no different than anybody else. If they would have just said, "Man, this was kind of a cool." I mean, there was gold in there. Yeah, like, really it was a cool looking fish. Yeah, and uh, you know, and it wasn't a saw guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, that that was right away. A lot of people were saying that it could be a saw guy because they're thinking blotches, but right. it wasn't yeah, blotches. No. It was I mean, the I looked at the fins and, the fish, and you know, yeah. so on and so forth. But yeah, it was definitely really cool. And then it, you know, it said, "Okay, well, I could see if it was living shallow and maybe got darkened up, and maybe the pigment of the water." And, Maybe what it's eating, all maybe it's a combination of a lot of different things. But then you catch it in twenty eight feet of water. Right. Interesting, right? And you got that water clarity or whatever it is down there. There is no sun tan that we right. call it, right? right. At no, that point there's in no time. Uh, Tropicana that those fish can put on. So yeah, they can write that. yeah. And then you you even brought up another point too that you know 
walleye are stocked in our lakes. Mm-hmm. There are some self-sustaining populations out there, but yeah. for the majority of the time, they're a put-and-take fishery, or they're a put-and-take species of fish, just like trout is. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't think that, but don't understand that, and I say it all the time to keep in mind that those are put-and-take fisheries. So, right. so these fish are stocked. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's 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 a different strain. I don't know. That's I, what they, I was they, they got too. they got they mixed. You know, they put it here and there. Did we get did we get eggs or milk from a different state? Right. Yeah, from a different state, different body water. Even yeah. maybe I don't Those know. Those are things it's, that the biologists might know. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it depends on being able to really monitor that year class and what they did, and really go back into doing some research on what. Where were that year class? When were they put in? Where did they come from? What all happened to the process? Because again, to all of a sudden come up with, oh, well, we got a lot of them recently. I'm like, really? Recently? Okay, yeah. then there's. There's okay, something going on. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's something. Okay, well, then there was some, like I think Will mentioned, there were some brought to the scale. Well, that means that there were bigger fish mm-hmm. brought to the scale, meaning keeper size keeper. fish. Because that was. That but was I got, around. I was told that there was fish being caught that, that were that color. Right, uh-huh. but they were smaller. Right, but Will had mentioned that on the post that there were several brought into the scale. So that means there's an older class, then tied into maybe like what he was saying. Some other guys, oh, it's the crawdad. They're having to eat the crawdad because of the forage. Right, and I'm like, okay, interesting. Then why aren't the other species changing that color? Because yeah. I and I thought right away it was because I you see some fish that are that are. Um, that are in that youth youth stage where they they'll adapt a certain color because to match where they're hiding, right. you know, just like like a, a deer is born without scent, mm-hmm. you know, something like that, mm-hmm. where where they can and then when they get bigger and they get older, they kind of grow out of that way. Right. So and, and but there's just so many things that you could think of, but I it was I found that very interesting also. It was a cool deal, deal but I, it was. It I was. still don't know the answer, man. That's I, the thing that's frustrating. Yeah, to me. Like, I mean, maybe I, maybe I'll never will. But maybe hopefully. we can. Maybe you know we're here. We could go talk to you know we're here at CPW uh, yeah. place, so we, we can yeah. go see if we can pull a biologist or something. You know, we we, we got that kind of pull. Right? Yeah, we I hope so. You so, see him with Matt. I should, <laughs> I should be able. To. You should be able to pull something. So, um, you know, fall fishing is getting kicked off. It's, yeah, you're you're rolling, and I'll I'll leave information too in the show notes too if you want to get a hold of ron and go out on a fall fishing trip it's just getting started we've got about a month left i mean chatfield chatfield cherry creek they, those bodies of water stay open till till typically late in the when the ice comes on really right, right. but uh, typically they'll go into december you know mm-hmm. sometimes uh, mm-hmm. earlier than that you know later whatever but i think bar lake is this their last weekend yeah this it'll, is their last it'll weekend. be this last weekend mm-hmm. I, I think i'll double check with michelle here it is, but yeah. it's it's probably their last weekend here and and that's just because another you know ans stuff mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and we're not we're not going to get involved with that. We're not going to talk about that right now. Believe you and me, I bet Ron and I can go on and on about that. It'll go into a different whole yeah, nother we'll podcast. Be here for a couple hours. So, and then and we'll even go grab Michelle because I know she's got opinions about that. But, but we'll we'll say that for another podcast. But um, before you got into this fall fishing, you know, you spent a lot of time in the woods. You know, we covered this the last time you were on about you know preparing for your big game uh, mm-hmm. archery hunt. But um, now you you've had successful hunt. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of let's just dig right into yeah, that. It was it was I enjoyed watching. You know, I, I I talked to you a little bit beforehand, and I was trying to get out with you and uh, do some stuff uh, as far as you know, get some stuff on film, mm-hmm. uh, get some pictures. But it just didn't work out. My schedule just scheduled, and that's how it is. Yeah, you know, but it's tough. But you know. but we're we're still planning on doing that. Um, you know, I got a deer tag, so maybe we can do something with that. You got you got you said you have a, a you might go help out on yep. the depredation uh, yep, tag. Yep, help my dad. But let's let's talk out. about. Um, your experience this year, you you harvested. You're able. You lucky yep. enough to harvest a couple animals. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, just kind of take us into that. Yeah. I mean, you, so, yeah. So I had three tags. Um, ultimately, I had my either sex tag, my cow tag, and a deer uh, muzzleloader tag. 
And uh, and real quick, before you start getting all uh, Facebook game wardens, you said you had three tags. Go look in Colorado regs and understand the A, B, C tags. Yeah, right. Go understand that, and you can up your, your tag amount, especially if you're wanting to put – Put meat in the freezer. So I just wanted to say that real quick. Cause yeah. yeah, you get all those people out there. Oh, the, I mean, you have tags out. I mean, yeah, you know, how are you just don't understand? Yeah. So, so just without you know, that's just a little disclaimer there. So, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, and ultimately, if you're looking at areas that are over the counter, you have that capability of having. Uh, being able to hunt multiple, even multiple seasons, you know, exactly. two tags in right. different seasons. But, uh, yeah, so long story short, being an avid bow hunter myself, uh, most of my stuff is bow. Um, I do love shooting my muzzleloader. I usually try to every other year or so I try to go ahead and put in um, for a deer tag. And because um, I do in the past, I've had some really good deer in my area, some substantially nice deer. Yeah. And um, so... Every once in a while, you know, if I can get lucky enough to spend a little bit of time where I can really track them down. And again, it's that, that's where I really give it to guys that are archery hunters and even muzzleloader hunters where they're chasing a mule deer, uh, a buck or even a doe. It doesn't matter at that point in time. You talk about a species that's tough, you know, really yeah. tough. A lot of spot and stalking, you know, making the decisions as to, you know, what do you want, how big and a lot of times I look at it going, man, maybe it just needs to be an opportunity at that point in time. Uh, but, I, you know, starting with that muzzleloader hunt, which was my last hunt, and so it was the most recent, recently ending, um, I was able to spot this mule deer that I had seen earlier in the season and vanished, of course. He comes back into, obviously, my life, but uh, he was <laughs> right with two other life. bulls, right? <laughs> or not bulls, bucks. Yeah. He was with two other bucks and uh, a little bit smaller um, but I get, end up doing a phenomenal job of stalking. And, you know, you hear all these rumors of people crawling and they're in the, you know, take belly crawling, off, taking, you know, their shoes off and barefooted and, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't take my shoes off because I do wear bare feet, you know, the bare, yeah, yeah. the footies. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's substantial enough. And I, I mean, ultimately, uh, I used to do it in New Mexico, you know, but then all you have to do is run into one cactus <laughs> and you realize, right. why am I doing this? This is, <laughs> uh, no matter how many socks you have on, you're going to get, you're going right, to get right. it, you know, uh, just, there's just no reason, like you can be quiet enough. Uh, you know, I always tell people, if you learn how to soft walk, you know, I think that's where I find most of my friends, I keep yelling, I'm like, walk soft, like, oh my yeah. God, learn to walk, you know, you're stumbling, you're loud, you're noisy, but they, oh, you're just as loud. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> You like, walk with a purpose, you know, yeah. like like you, with a purpose yeah, that you want to be quiet. Yeah, stocking up as well. Right. So I did a great stock, got all the way up to 75 yards, pulled my muzzleloader up, and my back sight came off. Had no idea. Yeah. But I was not belly crawling, but crawling, uh-huh. and I had, you know, my hand down and, you know, was shimmy. And who knows where it had come off because right, there's right. multiple times that, you know, I literally had to sit – and you know, up the slope and orient myself and realize, okay, well, I need to be a little higher. I need to move in a little bit further before I crest it over, so they wouldn't see me. I mean, it's much harder than people think to do a spot and stock. I mean, unless you got somebody with a flag, you know, raise it up for going higher, <laughs> raise it to go to the left for going left. You, you know, pull, you, know you didn't down have low. that. You didn't no, have that. I didn't get that luxury. Oh. I didn't have you know four people. I know a lot of guys, that camera have that, guys, yeah. and all that kind of stuff that can help you, and yeah. you know, guides and this and that that could help me orient it. So it was it was a little bit tough. So it was a little bit disappointing, but it was really cool because you know I got to get that close to these three nice bucks and. Unfortunately, I didn't harvest it, but it was a, my last basic hoorah hunt and, uh, you know, went from there. 
but uh, it, it was good and it was, it was bad. So it just goes to tell you, no matter how much I had my equipment, um, and that's probably where, you know, I probably should have done some live feeds where, you know, showing people I still was preparing. Mm-hmm. I still had shot my muzzleloader multiple times. I had still cleaned it, you know, did everything, checked everything. Uh, but the mistake I probably made more importantly, and I'll look, do some more research, is I, I have an old traditional Hawken, you know. So the old school, no inline stuff, blah, blah, blah. Not that I'm against inlines. Um, matter of fact, after this year, I'm thinking, man, maybe you should get in line, make life a lot easier. <laughs> but uh, because I'm a little bit of the, I guess there's the word traditionalist that keeps coming up in our world. You know, I'm like, yeah. what the heck is a yeah, traditionalist? traditionalist? Okay, I shoot a traditional, you know, mm-hmm. but... Anyhow, long story short, I, I, uh, can you scream Grizz too? No. With that Hawking gun? <laughs> yeah, no. Sorry. I just, I, I had uh, a Jeremiah, when you said Hawking gun, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Johnson popped oh, in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry but, about that. But yeah, <laughs> so, you know, I should have done a little bit more. And what had happened is uh, 12 years ago, I had changed the iron sight optics to the iron sights to optics, uh-huh. fiber optics. And lo and behold, you know, that, that one screw, it was short enough that, you know, I guess with enough bouncing around or over the years or whatever, you know, finally just popped off and I lost my sight. And that's probably one thing that I should have done. But when you do do that, you have to take that whole complete back sight up and out, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Then then you got to come back and set it, right? Yeah. So then I'm like, man, this thing's been shooting great for 12 years. Why do I want to mess with it? So that bottom screw just unfortunately without being able to get to it, right? Yeah, yeah. So long story short, you know, it should have been something I should have done right away. Mm-hmm. Go in, open that up you know kind of mark the spot crank that thing down make sure it's good to go maybe i should have put loctite i don't know yeah, yeah. so all the things that we could have well anyhow walking into the success side of things but that was still successful in my book i enjoyed that whole you experience. had a great spot or a great spot in stock you yeah know, and then yeah. just you know yeah. and it's not always about killing you it know isn't. I mean, yeah, I, exactly. I, I mean i do i'm a harvester you know we've met i've you know i've chatted a little bit about this i do harvest i i get a tag every year multiple tags every year two purposely fill my freezer Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. as as it's the only red meat uh, that i eat out of my house so um it's very normal for people to come over and And you're conservationist at the same time right absolutely so i believe that those tags are available to all of us and they are obviously monitoring and doing all the things that they need to do to conserve and do the right thing so with that being said knowing success rates knowing all those type of things you know it is it does do us justice to harvest an animal, yep. whatever whatever that may be. Um, it kind of go from there. Uh, it's ultimately helping out the environment, helping out the animals to keep them under control, and so on and so forth. Right, but, uh, right. But yeah, the, the which that led to in kind of going backwards to my bull hunt, which was the the actual uh, of the two animals I got it second. Um, I had had several animals. Uh, in an area early and of course they kind of just vanished a little bit on me with no rhyme or reason like there was no pressure back in there uh, i know the area well enough um, typically the two to three access points for humans to get into i had trail cameras up not a single human went by mm-hmm. so other than me um i shouldn't say just me but me or my hunting partner yeah. par- partner um, would go through there. So long story short, um, unless these guys came off of Mount St. Everest or whatever, or came, you know, private property isn't too far away. So if somebody came off a of private, but I don't know why they would have, there's no reason for them. Cause there was plenty of elk that, uh, yeah. they can go after on the private didn't to, to not come to public. And, um, so there's no reason for it, but they kind of disappeared, which put me on 
the another side of the mountain um, early in the season. But later on, they all came back in. They moved in, and when they moved in, they moved in just with the vengeance. I mean, I had one morning, I had 12 bulls all within, you know, if I, it was open field, yeah. it all wouldn't have been within rifle range, all oh, wow. well inside of 800 yards, wow. you know what I mean? And I'm talking 600 to, you know, 200 some odd yards from where I was at. And they just decided that we're, they're going to light it up. And, I mean, it was a commotion back there. It was super cool. Um, and, of course, I, you know, I don't always hunt off of a tree stand, uh, but when you look at my the time that you have as a hunter, if you can live in the field, like there's been years past where, you know, I haven't come off the mountain in two to three weeks. I'm there every day, you mm-hmm. know, so I don't mind being on the ground. But when you start pinching me on time and so on and so forth, and uh, or I'm getting pulled different directions, have my dad, have my buddy coming in here, have the Connecticut guys that are buddies that come in every year. You know, when you get pulled in different directions, well, then all of a sudden my time gets shrunk down. Right, right. Because, you know, I'm the guy that does a lot of setting up. I'm the guy that does all the calling, you know. Uh, I never get the phone call ever. Hey, I got some elk. They're bugling. Come on up. You Come know, on up, yeah. uh, my buddies get that phone call, but I don't. <laughs> when you call, right? yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? Tie one up for you? Hey. But uh, so yeah. Long story short, um, I had a bull come in early, and uh, I passed on it. You know, and it was a five by five, but it was really uh, small five by five. Um, but long story short, what I mean by a coming younger, in, a younger bull, huh? yeah, a younger bull. And what I mean by coming in is, I just had a field that is notorious bunch of finger uh, meadows that lead down to a tank that's it's a little ways down. But I got it pinched as I possibly can, as successfully as I possibly can to what was a tank that is down on private property. And again, that's knowing your private property and understanding, does that private property have hunters? Does it not have hunters? Yeah. So there's a, there's an area in there that they hunt a lot, but not quite near me. But every year there is typically guys on the private property, especially coming into the muzzleloader season. Is it fences? Are there a fence there? Yeah, or a gate it's or down, like but you, it's down quite a ways, but you, there's no trees, right? Okay. So if you're on the okay. ground, you're successful. You know, if you could do a spot and stalking mm-hmm. and really pinch private property, um, but I don't like getting that close only because, again, if my animal exits and it get, jumps the fence, right, uh, well, how am I going to do that, right? right so I don't right. like really pushing myself to tightening up that you tight You give yourself a buffer, yeah. I do. Yeah, my, my animals have to travel. My animal have, but have to travel over 500 yards. If, if there's an animal that travels more than 80 with any ethical shot and good place shot, you know, those animals are going down very quickly. Yeah. So if they're going that far, my shot was definitely was not placed in the proper, right, right. Uh, proper position, which I'd hate to hear and do that. So I don't pitch myself plus on top of that. I can't, I don't have any successful trees that I can climb. So I'm really just hoping that they mill through, you know, that they're just maybe coming out. And ultimately this year led me to saying, I got to get back over there and put myself back in that position for one reason, because of the heat, and because of the lack of moisture, it that's why those elk. So when people say, well, why all of a sudden they came back? Why did they leave? We got some rain, yeah. so they kind of dispersed. Yep. Now all of a sudden the rain, you know, dry, the, dried, dried out. out Everything yeah. got into a drop mode, got really super hot, and they had enough good cover, you know, on some deep timber that they could go into bed down during the day and have some protection from the heat, and then at night they would work out of there. But there's times that they would work out in the middle of the night so there's no hunting success there you know my trail cameras had tons of pictures on it at night but occasional elk here occasional elk there coming through um during the day and i'm like i still have to you know because then i maybe i can call 
Anyhow, I have a smaller bull come in. I pass on it. And uh, he ends up, you know, milling off. And I just kind of shook my head going, what are you doing? Like, all of a sudden, you became a trophy elk yeah, hunter? Yeah. Like, you, you didn't come up here. I didn't spend the time and the energy and the know-how to do all of this to, to pass up on a legal bull when it's like, okay, I need to get the job done, you know? I'm by myself. I have no help. You, you know what I mean? Like, who cares about a 400-class bull at that point right. in time if right. you've ever had to deal with it on your own, mm-hmm. uh, which very few people do. You know, I don't know very, very few people that are by themselves on a cl- that class bull because it's a lot of work and, a, and you that, know, a lot of pack out. That's a great point because you, 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 don't, you, don't, hear about, you don't hear about that, that mm-hmm. you, after you kill that animal. Mm-hmm. Now the real work, work begins. You always hear the real work begins. Big time. And when you have to do that alone, mm-hmm. it is your responsibility as a person who just took that animal's life right. to give it as much spec- respect as you can to properly harvest that animal right. out of out of that, out of there. Take as many, as much meat as you can. Yep. As much. I mean, do as do as yeah. much respect to that animal. And if you you as a as a hunter are looking at, well, that's not big enough, you know, and, and it's it's or it's. I want a I want a monster like four hundred class bull like yeah. you said, but then how are you going to take that animal out? You know, yeah. and then you get to people though. Well, you, you just do it. But it's if you have if you've never done that, mm-hmm. or if you even have done that, mm-hmm. there's both ways of looking at. It. If you have done that, you know what kind of work that is. Right. And it's and it's 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 fair, fair and respectful for you and that animal. Yeah. That so you, you get it out of there. You get in it that out kind of there. heat. Yeah. You get and that out kind of heat. So you're, you're 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 doing you're doing multiple things. There is your is you're preserving that you're going to get that animal out and, and very and quickly, yeah. very quickly with the heat and everything mm-hmm. going on. So you don't want to put that you don't want to put that too much where it's it's unrealistic, you know, for yeah. one person to do that. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, it was even though I passed up on that one, I had another bull come in. I was successful even placing the shot. It went over. It it, uh, it, it never gave me. Uh, when when an animal expires, you know we typically know that, and this animal was in my view uh, the whole time, and I really ultimately didn't know it totally expired, which I gave it its due diligence. I, I did go ahead, even right. though I was in my full view. This animal it. when it dropped, um, uh, in in part just because of the way he kind of been acting, and I thought, well, maybe I did enter a little bit high, and I caught one lung high, and then another one low, and so. It made me a little bit nervous, so I didn't come down off my tree stand right away and rush over there, uh, pri- primarily because I'm like, I, I got a stick and string. You, ain't, you know, good luck trying to put another one right, in it, you right. know. And it's not that I'm not afraid to shoot 80 yards, but 80 yards shot at an animal that's away pointing, you know, rear mm-hmm. ends facing you and its head away from you. you your target zone is three, four inches, you yep. know. And I want to tell myself I'm a pretty good shot, but to, to dial that in and then just kind of wound it again right, or right. ruin meat or whatever. So I kind well, of really you, had to wait. Yeah, and, and you prepare. You prepare. Yeah. You shoot. I mean, there's there's plenty of videos out there of you preparing and shooting, you know, those those live videos mm-hmm. that you went out. So you're prepared. You know where you're going to put that shot, and, and you're very confident where you're going to put that shot. Mm-hmm. And you're very confident after you make that shot where you put it, Knowing where you put the shot yeah, and how yeah. that animal reacted, yep. you have enough experience in the field to, to know what, what you're going to do. So there's no reason for yeah, you, to, to, yeah. you to get down in there and do that if, you, if you're seeing a reaction. That, and it also gives you a time to reflect. Yeah. A lot of people don't think about that. And they calm wanna, down because, you know, gives you no matter how much, yeah. I, you know, how much I tell people, oh, yeah, I'm really successful, blah, blah, blah. You know, when I knock an animal down, I mean, I have, like, 
tons of emotions you know what i mean yeah. it just the the crazy side of it is you know i'm like dropping tears because one thing is i love elk you know right. to death just visually watching them and they're a very cool animal i really enjoy spending time around them and just watching they're a very pretty animal uh, so it is hard you know gut-wrenching even though i know i'm feeding myself and and, and my family and friends, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. uh, inclusive. I've got some stuff for you in the truck. Oh, okay, that's but, it. Uh, We're done. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, long story short, um, you, you know, I still go through all of those things, and I have that emotion, and so it's best that I sit down, right, and calm, exactly. and collect myself. And um, I see people that have gotten themselves hurt. Um, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. making mistakes at that point in time. They don't realize, you know, they got buck fever, if you want to call it that going, or just an adrenaline rush. And I've seen people literally pass out because of that right. rush. And you don't realize, like, that emotion and so on and so forth. So the best thing to do is, you know, sit back down, collect yourself, you know, just don't spook the animal. Yeah, give the animal movement. the time it needs. Yeah. Right. So I was able to watch this whole animal, you know, being by myself. I don't get to prop it up and make it look nice. So my pictures were horrible. You didn't, you know, you didn't I mean, do the hero shot? No, I didn't get to up? do any of that. I oh. didn't get to prop it. Uh, you know, I'm oh, like, man. but I never have anyway. So I don't think I'm going to start now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So, yeah. but, you know, long story short, it just was, you know, unfortunate. But, you know, I took a couple pictures and, you, you know, still shared with friends and family. And yep, yep. My Facebook friends that follow me and, for the success, but it was a great hunt, you know, even though I was by myself and I had a lot of work because once I got that thing knocked down, I mean, I didn't get back to uh, camp with the last load until 1030. And, you know, when I, when I explained to people that, that I, I was able to get that elk, uh, I believe it was like 634 or something like that PM around that time. Um, and when I was able to knock that elk down and the time that it took you know what i felt like it was fully expired for me to shimmy down mm -hmm. um because again it gave me no signs thrashing kicking noise that we normally right, right. can associate with uh with the expiring animal but long story short i didn't get any of that so i was a little bit nervous coming down but i pushed it till like last light because i'm like okay this thing hasn't moved i had another elk come in and it never moved again so i'm like i think i'm good to go um and so i i went ahead and shimmied on down and it was 10.30 by the time I got that last pack all the way to what is what I call an area that we can have a main spike camp, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, type of deal. And that's a lot of work by yourself, you know. I mean, I probably overloaded myself a little too much because ultimately I only I took everything out in three loads. And, you know, regardless of saying, oh, well, that must not have been a very big bull elk or whatever. Well, it was big. I mean, just shoot one and pack out, pack it out in three loads and let me know how oh, you well, feel afterwards. Right. So there's a few days after that where I told everybody, I'm like, do not call me. Don't write. Right. Don't text. I need a you break. Know. Yeah, I need a break. But uh, it was it was a lot of work. And I probably pushed myself a little too hard um, of a pack mule. But I wanted to get that thing out because circling back a little bit because of the heat, the heat i was stressed very very stressed uh but by the time i were to call somebody hey i'll help you out i mean i have plenty but you call so yeah. man ronnie look i'll come up It'd be cool to do some filming i'll help you by the time i did that right, right. the three hour track to get to, to to the spot the 45 minutes to get me get down and to the atv and back to the where i could pick you up the 45 minute drive back in then the hike back up to you see what i mean mm -hmm. my thing's been setting for hours right so there's just no logical way that that 
could happen. If somebody was at camp, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll just go yeah, back yeah, to camp yeah, real quick. Yeah. Yeah, let's go, guys. Yeah. We got work to do. But there's nobody there, right. ultimately. So it's just too hard to make that phone call. Maybe if it was November and there was snow on the ground. It then, would, then it would be, yeah, yeah then you, yeah. Can, you can call do up your buddies and be like, hey, all right, let's do it. Come on, let's go do it. Pack out party. But then, then, but then led to uh, real quickly. Uh, you know, the early, the first animal was a cow. Uh, I, my dad and I had some epic place place to hunt. It was so great because, again, we committed to spike camping. And this is what I think. You know, honestly, that people need to understand. There, there is a big rave out there of this athletic hunter. You know, that's now coming where these guys are literally, they're living out of a pack out of their bag, right? Uh, Green, for instance, out of Australia. Yeah, Uh, Adam Green. Yeah, Adam Green. He's a savage, yeah. Dude, he's covering, what, 300 and some Uh odd, you know. Three states that he hunted in, yeah. If 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 you're not familiar with him, go to, go follow on Instagram, Adam Green Tree. You know, I have, I've never met him, but. Yeah, me neither. But as a, as a, as a sportsman, conservationist, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it. Watching what he does, it's pretty. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very impressive. It's not something that I necessarily would say. Oh, I'm definitely want to do that kind of right kind of hunting. And he was here in Colorado, and he, he gave it a shot. He yeah. gave it a good ten days. Yeah, yeah he gave he, it a good. He 10 was days. unsuccessful he, here. He was, but he was passing up animals too he because was, he right. said, for that size animal, for as far back as I am, that's not what exactly. I want. Exactly, and that's, so ultimately yeah. he was. Easy. He was in there he for the antlers, exactly. you know, uh, and, and ultimately he could have killed his Colorado bull, mm-hmm. but it would have been a lot of work for him to probably pull it out uh, for that kind of distance. And the bull he, he did, choice. he did kill, it wasn't, it wasn't, it's not a, it wasn't a bone crusher bull no. that he killed. Mm-hmm. It was may, maybe 300, was, 320, But maybe. it was a lo- logical, you It was know, a logical time for him yeah, to do it, right? Logical position and pack out and so on and so forth like what you just talked what we talked what you talked about earlier right? yeah yeah so it made sense for that but uh there's a guy that is legit where you know he is definitely covering ground where like i tell people i'm you know i'm as legit as you can get when it comes to spike camping there's no doubt look at the picture that i posted mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. would there's no atv in the background there's, there's no, no yeah. trail yeah. there's no you know if i gave a gps coordinate which i wouldn't do i hate to say that guys but yeah i've done i've done the work you guys got to do the same thing in searching that minimum two miles minimum away from any road and in the state of colorado when i say that like look at a truly look at a map and look at all the jeep trails and atv trails it's hard to get away. Right. You see what I mean? It's right. hard to get away from an actual ATV hunter, which is becoming more and more prevalent. There's a lot of them out yeah. there. Yeah. And with a stick and string, it's ridiculous. But I'm not a guy that pulls up and says, I'm scouting and I'm in my truck. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not a guy that I'm scouting and, you know, I'm able to do it off an ATV. You know, there's a few spots that I can. I call it technically scouting. I'm just looking. But the area that those elk are in, if I was scouting the actual area, if I'm scouting from a distance, that's one thing. But if I'm actually scouting an area where I'm closer and I'm looking for the water source, I'm looking for potential the deep timber where they're going to be bedding down, I'm looking for their movement between the two places and all that, I'm not doing it from seven miles away. That's too impossible. Right. And and people always, you often hear one to two miles. Yeah. One to two miles in the bush is it's so hard. It's ridiculous. It's so much further than people think. It's not walking from here to, to Walgreens down the street. Yeah. It's not that. It's not doing yeah, that. You're not but on it's, flat pavement, you know, right. where, yeah, you have hills and undulations. So, and so, and so, so when, and, and when I hear guys talk about that they go back to scout trips in a day, 14 miles, mm-hmm. 13, 15, whatever. I can hear be. that on a horse. I, I can hear that on a horse, but yeah. on foot, you know, and, yeah. and a scouting trip, and I, I just kind of, it boggles my mind. I'm like, I'd, I'd like to see that trip. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see how you do that because yeah. you're pretty impressive. You're yeah. either a mountain goat. 
or you have you, and are you really hunting right and, right yeah and I'm, and I'm, I, when I hear that stuff just to understand how far that is yeah. and how, how much that is and I have technically I have covered 14 miles in one day from start to finish getting up and I'm already at a trail edge to get up to a hunting zone like you know yeah elk are in the sage but an area that I, my buddies and I used to do a lot of is a 14 mile track or, yeah, but it's like it's, it's, it's a loop. loop. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a just loop. a loop. It's not that just we a made. one. Yeah, one, one in. Yeah, go 14 miles straight one in way. because there's nobody unless you're living there. You can't go 14 miles <laughs> straight in <laughs> unless you've got you know a road or whatever, and they're picking you up on the other side. I could see that too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but then that's taking a 14 in, 14 in, 14 out. You yeah, know, that's... to make a round trip. And could I see seven in and seven out? That's still a long ways for a hunter. That's a long ways for a true hunter to cover ground. And not be stumbling and running into stuff, you know. Because right. I hunt, you you know. I, I as soon as I touch the ground, I mean, there's times I tell people, "Man, I'm surprised we haven't killed some out of camp." I say that all the right, time. Right. I mean, literally, where my call it my main spike camp is not the main camp. What I call the parking lot. That's where the RVs and the vehicles can yeah. pull Off into. The, yeah. You have a trailhead a and you can just boom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah right. You right. know what I'm saying? When you yeah. got a, a car, yeah. pull up next yeah. to a truck and you're like yeah i'm hunting you're like yeah. okay yeah i'm sorry man it's not really you're hunting you're yeah. just a little ways off the road but you know long story short from from that point of like my main spike camp i tell my buddies all the time i cannot believe we haven't killed them right out of camp right i can't believe it we haven't run around us at yeah. night we hear them but during the day you know it's just so weird that they kind of mill off or they get down into the ravines or whatever but yeah, so long story short, my dad and I did our preparation. We got ourselves back in there. We were 2.3 miles back in. Um, it was straight up pretty much to a hill. Um, and, it, and it was a you know good hike for, like I was commenting, a 70-year-old man to, to perform. He didn't. He, he was up and down that mountain more than I was because uh-huh. he was there earlier um, and getting all of his stuff up. And he didn't want to pack heavy. You know, He wanted multiple trips just packing light. And uh, ironically, while we were hiking up there we pass a notorious spot that there's times where I, i've set him in a spot and he's been very successful in that we passed it multiple times but the elk weren't just the traffic wasn't really there they were uh, in a little bit deeper a little higher but a little bit deeper uh timber um and so long story short we were there we had uh, some good potentials that came in but didn't get into archery range and that's another thing i think people need to understand is just because i happen to be setting over the top of water um i I mean i had four elk walk by you know like i thought okay they're gonna come in i didn't you know pull the trigger 44 yards away Mm -hmm. didn't pull the trigger and i'm thinking all they're doing was they're working to get below the water and then they're going to work back in i see that time and time again you know they don't just come right straight in they're they're down below they're getting the down draft they're making sure everything's good to go and then they work their way up and up and into a water, water wallow, and yet these things would just walk through. Like, where are you going? Yeah. Like, is there water over there that I don't know about? I'm like, I'm like, I want to put a tracker on. I'm like, where are you going? You know, it's right. just absolutely nuts, shaking my head, going, I can't believe this. Yeah. You know, why aren't they there? And uh, but yeah, so long story short, I had several elk come in early, and then uh, we did some changing around. I got my dad in a different location. Um, I went back up, uh, which now we were pretty far separated. But I went back up to my spot only because I had had so many elk, and I had said, "Hey, look, if I think if a cow does come in at this point in time, even though I've had some really nice bulls, if a cow does come in, I'm gonna go ahead because looking at my schedule, I've got to come back home. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, if I'm gonna leave and come to Denver, I really need to be able to get that. Uh, lo and behold, the, the 
the day, the next day, uh, you know, I hiked back up in there and about noonish, one o'clock, um, I got into my tree stand and a lot of guys are like, man, I can't believe you sit there all day. And I'm like, I don't want to. That's if anybody's ever tree stand hunted. Matter of fact, put yourself on a ground blind uh, and tell me that you're not miserable. Right. And you're set, yet you're on the ground, you're right? The ground, like, right. just sit there. Now, I've never been in a tree stand, but I've been in a ground blind. Yeah. yeah, to sit there for as long as you have to sit there, they're not comfortable. Okay. Yeah. They're they're horrible. Plus, on top of that, that far back in, I'm using a lone wolf, which is a, a, a climber, uh-huh. which is very primitive. Not a lot of padding. Super horrible. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot of looking around, standing up, stretching. I mean, you know, oh, tying yeah. myself to the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Some does not. I'm like, all right, man. I got, I is that what those, those hundred of those safety things are that I was Well, that's, that's just a safety belt. That's oh, just okay. in case I okay. do fall. I'm actually talking about tying myself to the tree, <laughs> like literally. And people are like, dude, that's just miserable. I never get caught doing that. And, blah, blah, blah. and I said, well, I understand that. But just the fact of the success rate. It's, it's early. It's not just early, but we did have some talk, talking and bugling, but it was contact. We, we had extreme hot temperatures i'm like there's no such thing as you know getting on the ground and busting ground and being that aggressive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah really <laughs> you're gonna get on rice crispy treats yeah. <laughs> and you're gonna go on the ground and you're gonna successfully hunt an elk yeah all right i want to okay. i want let's that on, i want to see that let's see it on film yeah exactly. you probably won't see it on film but uh, but you'll you'll hear it talked about. Yeah. But you won't see it on film. Yeah. But that's that, that's because you don't hear a lot about the tree stands and and, and you, you yeah. said key things there was that you know that there wasn't there wasn't the um, the situation for you to get aggressive. Right. So you you did what you did. You know. I mean, aggressive like could be me getting them being if I was on the ground, me getting close enough to get into their kitchen right, or right, their living room right. and try to talk them out of it. But you got animals that weren't talking. These animals weren't even doing a sneaky peek, which we have a lot in Colorado where you're bugling, talking, and one will sneak in. A cow will just sneak to in check to check out, out. Hey, a on, younger yeah. bull, a spike, just to check out, you know, because they hear noise. But that's also where I'm looking at going, if you're calling that much, the animals don't call that much. So how in the world do you think you're going to alter the universe? Right. Right? There's a, there's a whole situational thing here of these animals communicate with each other and do certain things. Now, in the peak of the rut, like you watch some videos now, I mean, these bulls are screaming. Go right. down to Chatfield. Yeah, on the backside. Yeah. This morning, <laughs> I mean, they were ripping. You know what I mean? Yeah, they were just tearing it up, a new one. And, uh, and so, you know, there's those times where you can be the high-end caller aggressively calling all the time, so on and so forth. And uh, you just got to pick and choose those battles to be an aggressive caller or using some of those aggressive tactics like getting on the ground and getting up in there and kind of going from there. And those are aggressive tactics. Anytime somebody hunts on the ground for elk on public land, let me reiterate that for sure. Uh, On most public land, if you're on the ground and you're hunting, you're already an aggressive hunter if you're on the ground. Mm -hmm. You're taking the most aggressive approach. The next least aggressive is getting yourself in there and getting on the ground in a ground blind where maybe it could kind of subside on the scent a little bit, but not really because how well did you descent your ground blind, right. you know, uh, so on and so forth. And how, how long have you put it up and let it, let it get uh, natural and let them yes, get, get right. accustomed how, to it? You know, absolutely, because, you know, animals do. They, 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 they know. They yeah. recognize hey, things. What, what, that, that doesn't look right yeah, over that there. that looks weird. Is that Ron yeah. over there in a the ground blind? I don't know. Again, go over there. still. Dang yeah. it, Ron, I, I told you time and time again, that does, trick doesn't work. Yep. 
and and then you know the the least probably the least aggressive tactic in elk hunting is yes sitting in a tree stand you know your your ambush your guerrilla warfare and where mm-hmm. you're waiting for them to come in and you're just taking it and kind of go from there. Um, but yet you can still be somewhat uh, with that uh, with but you, you let, let the call. animal tell you what, what it needs what it needs and that's right. the important part about any hunt whether that be you know deer antelope elk moose bear you know the animals knowing their habits and knowing what they are doing at that point in time will lead you into needing to be in a certain spot right. they'll lead you to going over to hunt water or hunt the edge of a field or you know make sure you're on berries for that early season bear hunt this right, right away right, get right. in those ravines and be in a berry bush be around berry bushes because you know you don't have bear droppings without berry seeds in it that's full right. because that's what they're eating on you know so make those decisions and in the environment on. let the environment tell you like yeah. like i'll relate it back to to fishing you, you there's, there's times to show up on a body of water and the wind isn't right. Mm-hmm. The, the the air temp's not right. You look at the water, you make a couple casts, and you just know just because of, of the environment, just because yeah. of nature, you know it. This is this may not be the best of, best of days yeah. uh, to be out here today. And it's just kind of the same thing when you, you show up, like you said, you got rice krispies on the ground. It's hot. It's yeah. you're sweating. It's mm-hmm. your you can smell yourself. You can smell your hunting buddy that's that's uh, two miles away mm-hmm. maybe, and you know Which that I did smell a hunter this year. <laughs> I was really fortunate enough to run into a to a hunter uh, on that uh, after that bull tag. I told my called my buddy up from Denver. I said I, I got him. I know where they're at. You know we can get you an elk in and out. You know pretty quick and. Um, we definitely had elk coming in. We had a hunter come in and not to barrage on that, but you know, there's another side of the hunting side where I feel like our ethics have really lost, you know, we've lost a lot of ethics to try to make sure that, you know, we're successful. I'm disappointed personally. I'm disappointed when I see Rocky Mountain National or Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation posting pictures of animals coming into a mineral block. And it's plain as plain as yeah, day. Yeah. Plain as day. You just have to look at the picture. You see the mineral laying on the ground, and I'm like, okay, those hundred, those people really technically aren't hunting that. That at that point in time, it technically kind of is legal, but it's still planting. You right, know, right. which which again, you know, these things. I'm like, man, there's a lot of people that work really hard at being successful year in and year out that don't have to do these type of things, which is just a disappointing. Do you see that? You know, right. I saw another picture of my friend. Uh, send me a picture and they're always going over to my ladder I said here's one thing they never leave my camera alone they're always around my camera because they smell it yep. I have bite marks in my camera because they're tasting it because it's they something got the different ba- like the batteries uh, there's something with to do with the batteries I guess or something, there's yeah. something in there going on right they do come to my tree stand every once in a while I don't see them always coming to I'm saying in spots where I put a ladder Yeah. because okay? yeah. normally I'm a climber but mm-hmm. I do have ladders as well I want to see you climb a tree. I, 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 I shimmy up a pretty good for a I fat want to see. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, the point but is, is I do see them come over, but this was every day, every single day. And I'm like, well, your, your ladder's really discoloration. Like, what's going on with it? Well, he didn't realize. I just call him out on the fact that he was spraying stuff on his ladder. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So I'm like, dude. Like, I don't even want to be a part of that. Right, right? You right. need to, whatever you're spraying, descenting it or whatever is attracting those animals. You're borderline. You're really, really and that's, borderline. That's, and that is, you say borderline. There's, yeah. And, and that, that comes into where it's the discretion of 
of whatever officer or whatever if you came up to you, yeah. he'd be like, "Are you doing this intentionally? Because you know, you understand? We, we have scent. You know, I mean, I use wafers. You know, I, I'm a big time decenter, huge mm-hmm. decenter. I'm in a tree and I still have elk wafer. I still have elk bomb. Yep. I mean, I purchase seven, eight elk bombs a year because when I do, think people think all I am is a tree stand hunter. I, I put a lot of miles on this year, a ton right. of miles to go and put the cameras where I had them. They didn't magically appear there. Yeah. So at one point in time, I covered ground. Whether that be putting them in, taking them out, moving them, doing well, doing You're all those playing things. Playing chess, not checkers. You, you right? bet, exactly. So doing all those type of things, I still covered a ton of ground, uh, trying to figure out where logical, precise positions could be to be able to get in and get out and get the job done, go from there. But I'm a huge decenter. Yeah. So, but that's the legal side of it. Where for me to put a waiver on my ladder or whatever, I've never had an elk come over and sniff it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've seen them like raise their nose up and come over, but I've never, I've put waivers, stuck them in trees because they have, remember the little yep, yep. Uh, safety pins there. And I've stabbed it into the tree and just hung the waiver right there uh, dangling. And I've seen them, you know, sniff, but I've never even had them come over. Right. So there's some things like that that really bothered me. You know, I ran into a muzzleloader hunter. We're in our tree stands. I'm going to do some calling for my buddy. And because he wanted to hunt this spot, we end up coming down off our tree stand and, you know, leaving the scene. I think maybe 10 years ago, things would have been a little bit different. But I just can't believe the ethics. You know, yeah. I, I, I hear, uh, uh, you know, of a goat hunt where, you know, a guy gets called called up on what rears goats at because he's you know knowledgeable knows what he's doing tells the information and then hey but i don't want you in there because you know i've got a buddy that's going to be hunting and then lo and behold he's hunting those goats yeah but hides in the back seat (laughs) under a blanket (laughs) because he didn't want to get caught (laughs) like where's the ethics you you know what i mean like just just I don't you. do stuff like I hear that. You. I, I mean, it's just not worth it. It's it's and and what it what it really breaks down comes down to is that you, I can't watch a hunting show on TV anymore at all yeah. because it's fluff. Yeah. It's fluff. It's it's it's. I use the term honey dicking. Yeah. You know, it's it's telling you what you want to hear, showing you what you want to see, yeah. and and it's it, it's a lot of fluff, and it's a big problem. It's a really mm-hmm. big problem that's out there that I see that where you get these guys that are talking, that, moving, moving. The around. camera guy moves so much. If I move, if I even blink, I, I feel like right. my elk are gonna bust. Right, you know? and and then that's why it's it's so and, and you you get these you get these portrayals of mm-hmm. of this is how it's it, it, it is mm-hmm. or this is how you should go out and, and 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 approach an animal or approach a hunting situation right whether you're scouting whether you have scouted whether you are in in mid-season hunts or whatever and there's and, and you know it's it's like a it's a it's a double-edged sword because mm-hmm. you have so much resources out there where you can go get education where mm-hmm. we didn't have in the past right. with social media with stuff like that yeah. um with stuff like what we're doing now right. podcasts which, and, you know there's a lot which of stuff can, you can break do. into this and trying to say like you just answered it like it's or some fluff yeah. but try to take away from the fluff you know and say well what right. could right. what could have happened let's say if somebody were to f- like film me this year right. like what were you doing how were you preparing early on you know we even had some discussions i'm always watching the weather yep. like yep. we always are watching the weather um i know i have a uh, resident herd in my area and i have a migratory herd when the migratory herd moves through it's in good numbers really good numbers uh, enough to where i've seen a whole hillside and we're talking 900 elk moving across throughout a whole big ridge huge ridge of sage moving across there so we have had good numbers like that um i i know where my logging 
is going on because I do have logging in my area. Uh, the thing that is getting me to where I am still learning to help people out. Uh, my area, I have areas where I used to have easy access. I'm no different than anybody else. I'm as lazy as the next guy. Mm -hmm. If I can make it easier on myself, Matt, I'm going right. to do that. I heard because you're you're ridiculous in going out there, and you know it's unrealistic. To th yeah, it's, yeah. If you, especially if you're not in the shape, like there's right. some guys, right? We're talking about yeah. the, the yeah. athletic hunter. Mm -hmm. I mean, these, these dudes are we're preparing all year. Okay, I'm too lazy. I'm too fat. Apparently, you know, to want to do that, right? But it is a. But cool, you're honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a cool rave of uh, uh, that I'm seeing and you know falling through. It is cool. It is cool, and I and I, I see it all the time too. And it it, it sparks my competitive uh, sure, spirit to be sure. like, yeah, I could probably I, go do that. Yeah. But then I'm like, I'm like, do I really need to do that to get my experience right, out there? Because right. that's what it's all about, and that's my whole goal with all this is to share your experience, mm -hmm. my experience, right. other people's experience of it. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the kill. Right. It's like, and, and you know, I talked about filming and I, and I don't even know if I'm going to attempt, like the main thing I wanted to film with you was the breakdown of that animal. Right. After you, after yeah. the harvest yeah, of it. Cause is, that's, we talked about it. Yeah. That's yeah. important. And, and you, you need to, that's right there is where you yeah. can, how do you, you can quarter it? How do you clean it? Like, you know, right. all the things like people don't realize I bring a plastic bag with me. They're always right. like, what's a plastic bag? I'm like, None of my meat touches the ground. I pray I don't see much fur. Right. But if I lay this plastic bag down while I'm, you know, taking one of the quarters off, I have some place to lean or lay that thing that's not on the dirt and the, the vegetation, which the meat's wet at that point in time. So it collects everything. It collects everything. I yeah. mean, everything under the moon. And so I don't want any of that potential bacteria, yeah. you know, it, it getting in there and, and affecting it. So there's all these little things that would have helped people for sure. Though. And that's what I want to get. And, and, you know, and, and like I, I, I used to love kill shots when I was younger, mm -hmm. but now I, I hate kill shots on TV. Yeah. I hate seeing kill shots. And that's just me. Other people might enjoy seeing that, you know, but yeah. to me, there's so much more about the experience yeah. about like about talking about after you make the kill. Yeah. And it's just what you're going through, that emotional roller coaster. There's right. a lot of good stuff on YouTube that shows that, that mm -hmm. does that. And and I, I'm inspired by that. Mm -hmm. But but it's it's there's so much fluff and and um that I think it's 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 not that they, these people are intentionally going out and doing that. That they some of them are. Some of them are getting paid a lot of money to go talk about a product that they yeah. use. Yeah. Don't don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but um, but a lot of it is just they're not thinking about it fully. Yeah. And, uh, and and it also goes into what what we kind of touched on per, prior is that you know I think the 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 thing that gets thrown around a lot is I want to kill a big elk. Yeah. And I think what the word that they're using big. Uh, it, it needs to be replaced with a a quote unquote mature animal. Right. I mean, right. we we, we kind of talked about this a little bit. And uh, what's mature to you? What's sure. mature to you in your area? There's yeah. all these units in, in yeah. Colorado, especially, and, and and I'm I'm pretty sure it's it's, it's in other states as well. But mm -hmm. I know in Colorado. Units are managed. There's wild. There's 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 biologists. There's there's DWM, there's wildlife managers. There's a lot of people that have influence on how many tags are allotted. Sure. Uh, whether it's a, a, a female or, or a, a cow tag, bull tag, either sex. Yeah. There's 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 limited numbers of, of, of those things you can buy. There are units where like you go get an over OTC tag, over the counter mm -hmm. tag. Mm -hmm. You can't go to an every unit. unit. There's right. units that are specified that you can Correct. go on that. Okay. So so let's talk about that. You. You typically a bull elk. 
in the uh, wild. Yeah. So let's six talk to seven about, years old is an old animal, that's right? That's pretty old. Like but in my unit, in your average, unit, it could be different. Yeah. In my unit, the average age limit is three. That's their life expectancy, yeah, yeah. three years. So how are you going to get a mature bull at three years, right? Right. My bull that I just killed, three-year-old. Is a three-year-old bull. Yeah. Okay. So you take it in. If you want to know, take it down to your division of wildlife. Uh, if you're interested, they're not as much, but you can still do the chronic wasting disease yep. test, yep. so on and so forth. Make sure you take proper precautions when doing that. Do your knife deal. Research that if you're wanting to do that. But if you have concerns, uh, even though it's maybe a tiny bit more prevalent in the deer, it does spread over to the elk. But long story short, you can then also ask them to age it. Just right. like they would age a deer, they're going to look at your back molars. Mm-hmm. If you're going to mount that elk, uh, don't go in and do that because they cut back, uh, you know, way back to the back of the jaw and uh, the mouth. So then they ruin that for uh, any kind of caping uh, or mounting if you want to do. But long story short, they're able to age most of those animals just by looking at their but teeth. But you said the teeth. You can, if you, you kill something, and I mean, obviously you have to kill something first before you go look at the teeth. You can't yeah. be like, hey, but you can, smile for me. Yeah, Let right. me see where your teeth are. Yeah. Okay, you're too young. You're yeah, but past. you can tendency, yeah. you can see like in my unit, you know, the, since hunting there in, since 1998, I, I have a good understanding of what what your class most of my elk are and then just knowing in general you're not going to get a four by four or five by five like i did that is a two-year-old it just doesn't happen no matter how much the genes are there it's just not going to happen that won't really probably start until their third potential year and then after but the the average year class is uh your your class in my area excuse me, three years old, and that's partly due to harvest. Yeah. Most of them don't survive because it's an over-the-counter, yep. it's very accessible, and most importantly, it's within three hours of Denver. Right. So when you're hunting an over-the-counter tag that's three hours from Denver Metro, you are subject to the new age hunter that I feel like is coming out where they don't care, you know, they have just as much right, they're privileged, yeah. you know, I, you know what I mean? Oh, you were here first, no, no, no big deal. I'm noticing i'm talking to a lot of people i'm hearing more and more about that not just pheasant hunting in a field yeah not just deer hunting not just antelope hunting deer all those deer elk animal you know you name it uh i'm hearing so much more of that um you know that athletic hunter taking over ridges and i'm like they may not all be athletic hunters they may be hikers too because there's a lot of people there's a lot of hikes yeah i mean if i was into the hiking world i'd like to hike during that time of year because it's not burning up no i'm I'm not killing myself with the the heat extreme heats and i could backpack in with light enough gear that i can stay overnight multiple nights right so i can have my tents and all that and not freeze like i don't want to do it right now it's too cold up there it's cold up there so it's a time of frame a year or two and the conditions lead to all of that but there's more of that people hearing and seeing stuff that oh we're in the back country we're way back there and i think they'd be shocked that the guys are coming driving their atv down a little slope they get off their atv they go over a tiny little ridge and they hunt their elk and they get it and then they come over right right, right. so i think you know there's there is some of that yeah so to bring people into saying well let's try to be realist and say you know what is happening like i was mentioning I'm checking out my weather, checking out all this stuff to help people out. The education part of this and saying, I was successful. We didn't get to do the film like we did, but how were you successful? What were you doing? There was a lot of that that I was doing. I was constantly watching it. I was constantly calling the local contacts that I have. Uh, there's a couple people that own uh, 
a sporting goods store maybe nearby or gas station if right. you know the owner yeah. or whatever and I'm asking them you know what did I'm hearing that you guys got rain did you get rain and was the rain in this situation or right in here you know was it uh did the town of Kremlin get hit but the mountain that I hunt doesn't get hit yeah. right yeah. did it hit that too well sometimes they don't know that unless they were kind of like watching so I build a rapport with locals in the area that can give me up to date especially as I get closer to the hunt and I'm noticing I hear a storm and I can call them how much man we got pounded I mean you know it's flooded here okay good chance I got hit too right you know so it doesn't just pass that kind of rain right so I'm watching all those type type of uh of scenarios i'm also putting the trail cams like we mentioned to help me with the limited time that i didn't did have used to be i'd go up every weekend and do scouting you know i've done mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of scouting and covering on ground and looking and that's partly early on as i was scouting looking for spots to hunt when i was early on hunting i was then up there hunting i was always scouting while i was hunting and my gps has hundreds of waypoints on it hundreds but i can come back to that and say well let's go over there and check this out i did it this year i went over to check out a spot that says moose spot and why because my dad and i were sitting there one time and two big old moose come in and they're like i'm hugged next to a tree and they walk right by me like i could reach out and touch them (laughs) like you know big old bull moose thankfully they aren't are there technically they're not the aggressive breed here but i still you know i want to get into total yeah like, those all i got yeah. is a pulpine between me right uh-huh. a pulpine come on yeah. you know i'm fatter than the pulpine <laughs> and i'm hugging that puppy if you don't think i wasn't hugging it but i was said let's go check out the moose spot why because there was water there years ago yeah when i marked it and i saw when i had marked the jeep the waypoint i'm like maybe because it was pretty dense i went back in there couldn't even get to it there was so much down timber when wow. i got to it animals could get to it but there's no reason they want to work that hard i yeah. mean it was literally like there's no chance about a hundred, eh, um, I'm sorry, maybe about 50 yards from uh, the the spot. I literally touched the ground maybe five times. I was scaling trees, you know, because there was so much down timber. There's no touching the ground. And I'm literally walking on top of, you know, very dangerous at that point in time, pole pine that the bark's now loose and you know so you can slip and fall and get hurt really really bad yeah so i'm looking at going why do i want to do that i think i just wanted to check it out Mm -hmm. and i wasn't that far away from it but it took a lot of work to get over there to it so you know when you're up hunting and you're and you're you are you want to try to do it again we go back reiterate to the fact that you want to start finding a way to get away from people as best you can right um, and sometimes getting away from them is maybe only a mile. Like I talked about the two mile thing and we try to talk about a mile, two mile off of a road. You hear that a lot. And that's not, if you're hearing repetitive things, it's not a lie. How's that? Right. You right. know what I mean? Cause uh, yeah, there's too yeah. many people that are successful that kind of tell you the same thing. Yeah. So I look at a map and I look at a road and I'm like, and there's nothing between here and there can, is there water showing up? That's the first elk I ever killed in Colorado was I literally looked, I was a mile, 1.5 miles away from a bend in a road that then took off and turned away. To get down, to get over to this spot was was in a little draw. I had to drop down a severe canyon. Like when we came back up, we weren't walking. We were on all fours because it was that steep. Oh, yeah. Okay? Oh, wow. Back down that up. That's the, not fun. No. Up the next side that was pretty much, but at least it was only halfway to then you could get into the ravine and walk in, in there through the bottom of the ravine. Early on in my career, not knowing, I just went from point A to point B, not realizing that I could have found the flat way around. It was longer. Uh-huh. Later on, yeah. I found scouting the way around. Yeah. That I was level and only had a little bit of climbing in and out. 
but I moved around a big mountain instead of down and up it. So I just got smarter with that, but got up in the ravine and there was water on the map. It showed there was water. I got up there. Sure enough, there was several uh, natural seepages. They weren't, okay. they weren't dammed by ranchers back in the day. Bo. They were just natural seepages. And lo and behold, I got to get in the right seepage. My buddy was in the lower one. The elk came into the higher one, and I got the job done and was celebrating, you know. Yeah. And again, it wasn't a big bull, but it right. was a 4 by 4 successful first hunt. Them guys have been hunting up there nine years before I got up in there. Nine, and never seen an elk. So oh, this really? was a big deal for us to celebrate. Yeah, yeah. But what I did then, I would do no different now. Yeah. And you said, okay, Ronnie, you know your area so well, that's not fair. I'm new to it. Okay, we'll point out a spot that is an over-the-counter. Let's be fair. Let's go over-the-counter where I don't have I'm not I don't have the luxury of going through private property to get to over-the-counter that is protected. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah and like, that, there's a lot of that that goes on that people don't realize. That's the fluff part. Yeah. Where, yeah, I'm, I'm on public land. But right. how did you get to that sliver of public land? Because there's slivers all over the place. Yes. I mean, you use those, uh, you use the old-fashioned maps that you can go purchase at yeah. a sporting well, go to X-Maps now. But you go because to X-Maps, you, get, you can see yeah, that stuff. You can the see the land, map. the BLM, the public private. You get the private property, the owner's name, their phone number. You might be able to ask them. You for might permission. exactly, yeah. or and, and it's that's what the things that you don't see is that the, the they didn't tell you, you they went through public or private property to get to, to get to that public yeah. land. They don't yeah. tell you that stuff, and that's that that's the fluffing that I can't stand. Right. And like with me, for me coming from and like hearing you talking, if, if you said, "Hey Matt, I let's let, let let's go hunting, let's go hunting next year, or let's go hunting, I, I got a spot for you." I have yet to kill a bull mm-hmm. with a bow yet. I have killed a cow and a doe, but I have yet to kill a bull. And that's what I, that's what my goal is to do. That's what sure. I want to do, you know? So if you tell me that, and I know talking to you, if I would just pick up the podcast, listen to the podcast, mm-hmm. and I, I know that you have put in the time and the effort, not just because mm-hmm. I know you personally, yeah. but I know that you've put in the time and effort just from hearing you talk. Right. And, um, and it's realistic. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I... It drives me crazy, Ron. Yeah. And I mean, but that's also part of where this needs to be important too. Because how can you transfer words into an action, right? Because so, yeah. nobody lived in my footsteps every day. So you're hearing some of the stuff that I had done and paying attention to, like he was paying attention to weather. I heard that, and you know, trying to transfer. Okay, put cameras up. Well, I don't have enough money to buy seven cameras. Neither I did I. Yeah. But I started with one. Started with one. Exactly. That's that's the thing. So there's no reason to not start right. with one. Right. Go they're with they're what cheap you got. enough now. Yeah. And even if you don't have a whole lot of money, I mean, maybe you have to go to that really low-end one that just will give you substantial enough pictures at the beginning that you can upgrade later on. Um, and it's a learning process. Yeah. It's a whole, like, yeah. I don't know how to use a camera. It yeah. sounds simple enough. You just tape it to a tree or, or, or put it and hit Strap the it to a tree and hit a button. But right. But, but, it's, but it's, 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 it's that learning. And that's yeah. the thing that, that it gets me that, that there's, you always, you always look at, okay, well, I got to this point. This is where we're at. This is where you need to be. And then people are so overwhelmed yeah. with, and then that's when they get desperate. There's like saying, well, how come I'm not doing what I saw on TV, yeah. what I saw on YouTube, what I saw on whatever Because these saw. guys are covering ground and they're walking yeah. and they're walking ridges and they're bugling down into ridges. And, and I'm like, I'm, you know, I mean, trust me, I've been doing it a long time. I've done a lot of that, done a whole bunch of that in the right time, at the right place, in the right environment. Absolutely. Right. I've called in more gigantic bulls i mean even just the memory in my in my memory bank of uh, being in college and 
and calling in uh, one of my roommates, uh, just an enormous bull. I mean, every bit of, you know, when people throw numbers around, mm-hmm. Matt, when I tell people it's a 350 class bull, I'm probably not too far off. Right. Okay? I'm not too far off. But there's always this, oh, yeah, I think most people need to understand to get a 300 or a 350 class bull in the state of Colorado is a huge Throw it your way back at you a little bit here with this mature bull. Mm-hmm. A 300 to 350 class bull, if you're tapping 350, you're now trophy right. world right. Right, for the state of Colorado. Does that mean we don't have pushing 400? Yeah, we do. Yeah, Have fun. You may hunt 10 years. <laughs> you may hunt 10 years hunting ethically. You hear what I'm saying? Yep. And doing everything you possibly can right. And still within that 10 years... I think there's a rumor out there like seven year success rate or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's I've ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Now, I think an and average to, hunter, to I think an average, something. you know, defining an average hunter or defining that a hunter is seven, only successful every seven years. I don't know what all that means. I'm not too sure where yeah, they're, there's, they're there's trying to, of, yeah, where people are getting their statistics and so on and so forth. And, and maybe it just be a beginning to an average to an intermediate to an advanced. Right. And, and obviously being somebody that has killed elk multiple years since, you know, I was 15, right? Yeah. I've killed an elk every year. If not many, many places I've killed as many as four in multiple states, uh, hunting multiple states, I should say. So there's a lot of success rate there, but why did it was earlier on, uh, was I successful, um, at an earlier age? And a lot of it just had to do with having some of those internal instincts being brought up with the right training, uh, with my uncle and my dad and right, right. You know, so on and so forth. Yeah. But learning. when when I hear people saying that they have been hunting up there, like my friends, nine years they had been hunting up there and never seen an elk. Okay, well, first and foremost, let's really talk reality. The average hunter is lazy, <laughs> right? The average right, hunter, right. the average hunter probably gets a goes to go hunting to get away from work and the environment they live in to give themselves a break. Because nine times out of ten, your phone doesn't work up there. At least I pray mine doesn't. Right. But although it does stress me out if it does, and I start getting dings and blah 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 because I'm just like I can't do anything about it anyhow. And in your bad guys too. Yeah, let's be realistic. Most of the people probably just get away. They go and walk around a little bit and they get do, away but from they're not kids a hard, they're not aggressively hunting. They're not in it to win it type of thing. They're not really in it to get the job done. So that success rate, you could be successful every year as an elk hunter. If you're choosing to be an elk hunter, right. And you're actually choosing, I should say, to harvest an animal. That means you went to the store and you bought an over-the-counter tag. There's no doubt in my mind that at some point in time, if you put yourself in a place, call it a water hole, look for a secluded spot of water, a natural seepage, elk know where they're at. And you may only have one elk in three days come through there, but I tell everybody, if you give me one of my spots, and I have 14, that if I set you in a spot, if you give me three days, you'll be successful. I proved it this year. Mm -hmm. I proved it the year before that. I proved it the year before that. I proved it the year before that. Not with me, with the success rate of my friends and family. Right. Do you see me? Right. I'm like, if you sit here, you will. Now, you can be on the ground and hunting here too. But with the conditions being right, hey, yeah, let's get on the ground. Quiet it down. I hate that it rained because like a dog, uh, a bird dog, works way better with moisture. Why? Because they're scent. Because they can smell right. it. Right. When it's harder on them to dry. I don't care how good your dog is. Right. Your dog can be an elitist. It could be paper, you know, champion, blah, blah, It's going to be, it's going to be harder for them. They it's just are day, smarter yeah. yep. and they can probably figure it out a little quicker than maybe some, another animal uh, or another dog that maybe does not have the experience or whatever. But long story short, all of these things are important to tie into. And that is where I'm saying, okay, now I would love to 
right conditions. They're talking. Let's get on the ground. Let's break it in. I triangulate. It's another thing that I always tell everybody. It's very, very, very difficult for me to hunt with one other hunter. Yeah. And to, in part, we're making so much noise that if we're if there's three people with me, I'm the caller and two hunters. My success rate skyrockets to an eighty percent. And primarily, two reasons. One, we're all kind of calling. I'm bugling. They're out, typically out in front of me, cow calling until we have a receptive one. Hopefully, it's not a sneaky peek that yep. busts us before. But once we do zero on one, I can have one guy go left and one guy go right, and someone's going to get a shot. No different than this year. My best, my best buddy uh, Frank was up there. I had all the elk. I called in three elk to him. Three. He was able to shoot at one. Didn't define. Didn't see his twig. Didn't see his lane yeah. well enough that I've been trying to diligently train him on. No matter how much you know, you hear somebody. Luckily, he and I are close enough that I'm like, I'm not saying a dead figure, but I think sometimes he gets nipped at by me. You know, yeah, so I'm like, yeah. we, you're making a mistake I made years ago. You know, you need to focus. You know, yeah. you calm down, focus. You know, so I maybe come at it, come at it just a little bit harder with him than I would somebody else because I'm like, hey, wasn't that cool? Blah blah. But with him, I'm like, what was that? Twenty three yards, dude. Twenty three yards. How can you miss that shot? Yeah. Like this, this. You know, we're not gonna have, but we can have three elk. You know, within that next day, like I had him in three good elk and way bigger elk than I shot. But yet by myself, couldn't get it done. Yeah. I tried calling, but it just, okay, through the night, all of a sudden storm came in, cooled things down, just a little bit of drizzle, quieted things down a little bit, and then kind of went from there. But long story short of it, to, to trying to get people to understand the, the logic of where we're at. Again, I'm talking about I'm on the ground and here's the conditions of why. I didn't have any of those conditions on all those days I was hunting. I had dry conditions. You're not going to get me down on right crispy treats and blah, blah. I knew they were going to need to go to water. I knew where my water sources were. They were, there's enough natural seepages in my area. They could have hit any water whatsoever, but elk are also lazy. Right. They also want to go to an easier source. Elk are also, 99% of them are going to go to an open area water source versus a closed, dense, dark Unless the moon's out, they're not going to necessarily want to go in. You might find your big mature bulls. Okay, those 300 class bulls and up. Big guys, big mature, they're very healthy. You know, bear comes in, cougar comes in. They're not getting nervous. They're not spooking as easy. In other words, they're going to come into a wallow maybe at night or do whatever. Uh, I, I doubt you're going to find a spike in there in the middle of the night in a dense you know, yeah, he, uh, yeah. whole, you know, you're not going to find too many cows because they're protecting their calves and their newborns. They're smart. They're going to be in areas where the wind is just right. They know where the wind is. They have the wind right. They have the noise right. So they have all their stuff covered. The wind's yeah. in their face. The noise is in the background. So the hill's in the background. If there's something creeping up there, they're hearing it. But they have the wind in their face. So they're smelling whatever's near them and so on. So in a little bit more open environment. So knowing that I'm going to be looking towards a place where they may be going that is an easier access for them uh, and safer access to them. But yet earlier on in the year, they weren't. They had to recede back in. And in part, that water didn't dissipate. It was just too darn hot. Right. You know what I mean? At nighttime, I mean, it was at night. I'm in, you know, sorry, but underwear and T-shirt and I'm boiling. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. In the middle of the night. Uh, I'm like, oh, my God. How hard are you? Like, like 9,000, 8,000? Yeah, and that's another good good aspect to the training side of things. I hunt a lot, a ton. Most of my success rate is between 8,000 and 9,500 feet. Right. I have okay. My success rate is 100% of my elk are killed at that range in multiple states. 
So it kind of tells you, why are you at 10,000 feet? Right. Okay. Yes, you're reclusive, big bulls, blah, blah, blah. They, they're, they're living in, you know, places that is secluded, and maybe that's what you're into. So you're getting into some more of that environment. Later in the season, I see it more like leading into that second week of archery season when they got that pressure and they get pushed back into muzzleloader season, especially after muzzleloader season. I do see that pushback. Like they get receded back in. I see then going back into hunting some deeper, higher country a little bit, but it won't take long for them to get pushed back. back. Yeah. And that part in part is to do do with temperatures. It has to do with the fact that bulls are going to one place where there's cows because it's coming into the heat of the heat. You know, so there's no reason for them to want to hang out at ten thousand five hundred feet when the majority of the animals are down where the survival rate is best for a calf elk. Right. So survival rate is not conducive for all elk in general. That's why they're minute amounts. It's not like you can't go over, for instance, uh, Loveland Pass or Bertha Pass and not see elk up in there. Yeah. And they were wintering and summering there. I mean, not wintering, but summering up there. And that's just due to part because of the temperature. Once that temperature starts going, those cows aren't going to take too long. They're going to get get their calves and start and moving them back right. down. Right. It's not going to take too long. So bulls have to follow their instincts and the instincts are to follow the cows because the cows are going to be coming into heat. So eventually my success rate is in the 8,000 to 9,500 feet because that's where the majority of very stable living conditions are. Massive amounts of food uh, for them. Uh, There's all sorts of types of things that they can vegetate on that their calves can then uh, be well taken care of. There's good cover. You know, there's not a lot of cover at 10,500 feet. Um, you got to drop down below that. So then the success rate there then falters when it's a smaller herd. It's a big herd. You might see a big 200 head up there on Bertha Pass. I yeah. go, oh, look at them. I see them right. all the time. Right. You know? Yep. And I'm like, oh, look at them with the binoculars because it takes binoculars to see them then. And I'm like, yeah. But then, you know, come hunting season, I'm like, where the heck are they? There you go. Yeah. Well, those guys that maybe do hunt the ridges that are smart enough that do have horses. They hunt those ridges. Those elk don't take too long. They know where safety is the second they get a little bit nervous. They yeah, bail they back into around. the timber. Yeah. So just no different. They get condensed. You have hunters from lowland pushing. You have the definite hunters in highland pushing them back down. So there's a little bit of squeezing effect yeah, goes you, on there. You, you kind of want to be right in that middle zone. I want to zone. stay in this middle zone. The majority of the elk are in that middle zone right. and stay in that. And, and then just like you said, preparing for the... What is your success rate? Why do you need to hunt of a tree stand? Why are you in a tree stand? Well, this year, because it was so dry. Prior to the dry uh, deal, go back. Look at my video. We had torrential rain. Right. Torrential rain. And it was, I'm, it was, I've got a spring. What you don't understand is I know that river, that little spring that comes through there. It's usually trickling. You know, you can just step across it, right? Yeah. You ain't stepping across that. You're getting wet to cross that, okay? <laughs> that that I'm kneeling down and kind of talking about, look at how much moisture. Yeah. Oh, boy, this could change a whole lot. There, yeah. There's a lot of stuff, man. I got a lot going on, right? All of a sudden, it came from a ton of water to none. And it can happen that, like that because a yeah. lot of people always like, oh, we got a lot of water your shoe. That's what I kept hearing early in the season. We got a lot of water. There's a lot of places for them to go. But yeah. it can change that quick. And it did. And, and don't get me wrong when I say big animals, and I mean, I would love to have an opportunity to harvest a 400-class bull. I'm well, sure you would? would, too. <laughs> yeah. And there's also things that you do to get in that position, like yeah. uh, 
buy an over over the counter tag, but also put in for a area where you know it's going to take multiple preference points to get. And that's right. how the system is here in Colorado. So if you're not familiar with that, so so we're not saying that it's and it's, I'm doing it's it. Wrong. I mean, it's I'm doing too. it too. You're yeah. doing it too. And I'm, but but at the same time, I'm trying to learn as much as I can mm-hmm. so that I'm prepared. To when I get that when I get that situation, hopefully I'm lucky enough to get that position to be in a position to take an ethical shot right. on a on a giant bull. Mm-hmm. So, but it's it's just that there's a lot of that. That's not what it's all about. It's not all about that, you know. And Ron, real quick, how much how many years of experience do you have? Just yeah. real, just remind everybody real quick. Well, I mean, shoot, I mean, you obviously I was up. Yeah, you keep dreaming. You know, well, I mean, I was up with my dad prior to 15. I think he started taking us when we were 13. My first year was 15. So 45 now. So, so just everything that I've – and I, I sit here – this is what I love having you on because I love listening to the experience. Mm-hmm. You're not just spouting out stuff. You're mm-hmm. experience. You're talking from experience. Yeah, a lot of – a lot of incorrect experience too. Well, it's, it's, way, it's, it's living learning. Maybe, yeah. It's learning. If you're mistakes. not living, you're, you're, not, you're yeah. learning, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's – um, it's tremendous. It's a great resource to have you on. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, we're getting close here. I mean, this is the longest podcast I've ever done. I'm sorry, buddy. I no, this much. is great. No, I mean, <laughs> this, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell Ron Lowry to be quiet. I'm going <laughs> to, if I have him on, I'm not going to tell him to be quiet. I'll tell you that right now. But real quick, um, let people know where they can get a hold of you. If they want to yeah. go book a fishing trip, fall fishing yeah. is still rolling. Let yep. them know you how they can call me you. directly at 303-587-2245. You can look me up through Tightline Outdoors. Um, as well um, you can also find me on my Facebook page and that's an easy way to get a hold of me too you can even personal message me through Facebook um, that's very easy it is coming into that time of year where if you wanted to catch good decent numbers and also a potential trophy it's that time of year right and you're going to get pretty busy here so let's let, yeah. if, if you want to book a trip with Ron get on the water with him um, and I'll put all that in the show notes as well, too. Perfect. And also your Instagram, uh, Lowry yep. Outdoor Adventures, yep. right? Yep. Um, check that out because there's a lot of pictures and stuff. I mean, you, sure. you knocked the dead. You, I, almost, I, almost cussed, I almost cussed my own podcast. You knocked the foo out of him last week. And yep. go check those pictures out. And, I mean, go, go interact with Ron. I mean, he's always – and even go and get involved with those conversations, yep. those questions yep. that he posts on there. Uh, so, yeah, go check him out. And, uh, again, I'll put those uh, uh, shows or those things in the show notes. Um, how do you get a hold of Ron? Uh, but um, real quick, uh, tonight, uh, okay, I'm, I'm recording this, so uh, keep an eye out on the Facebook page, the Outdoor Ed Facebook page. Uh, Outdoor Ed Live premieres tonight. Uh, I am recording this on Tuesday, so uh, if you haven't caught this episode, I'm going to do it twice a week and uh, might even get Ron on the next episode. We'll talk more fishing and stuff like that. But um, again, thanks for coming on mm-hmm. with me, Ron. Absolutely. It's You're a great resource and, and, and a good friend, and I love being able to talk with you and being able to go go to you and just just talk yeah. about golf too. Yeah. We haven't even touched it on golf yeah, yet. Yeah. I'm still I'm still waiting for that golf episode we're going to do. So, again, Ron, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on again. And um, uh, um, do you got any any closing notes that you want to yeah, hit the people with? Keep it real and be safe out there and enjoy the outdoors. I love it. I love it. Keep it real. Uh, again, thanks to Bar Lake and Michelle for letting us uh, use their facilities here. Yes, thank and, you. Um, and not only use their facilities, but be in the nature center. Yeah, Music facilities awesome. can kind of mean come down and see things. it. It's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Speaking from a, speaking uh, from somebody who's never been in here, it is absolutely awesome. Great experience. A lot of things to learn and look at. All right, folks. Uh, again, thank you. Uh, and if you ain't if you ain't winning, you're learning. Huh. Ain't that a lot easier than saying all that gibberish?
to know. 